Welcome to the weekend must watch here on Intercut, where we wade our way through the latest in theaters, streaming, and on demand. I am your co host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he was told the cheese here was made by a blind nun in a basement. It's Arturo Zurita. Thank you, Zach. We are at the end of October. I don't know about you, but you look out your window and people are dressed like there's a convention in town of every which way and sorts. And we've noticed that there will be groups of people who have organized each other to to dress in the same costumes. But they think it's a little too childish to wear the same thing that's like in accordance with one another. So you'll see like someone in like a 50s costume and then someone in like a very modern costume. And you're like, you guys did not coordinate this at all. And I've seen a lot of people be like, you want to see more like group themed costumes they clash so much man you got different colors working with each other i was like you guys could have coordinated this but that would be a little too childish you know already getting yeah. in the costumes to begin with in downtown <laughs> uh isn't but dude it it feels i don't know it, I, I know we're at that moment where this year all of the festivals that we've gone to especially in the latter half feel like the first time these festivals have come back i guess that's mm-hmm. just the holidays for a lot of people this time around we're gonna be ordering two turkeys this year people are gonna have three trees <laughs> Um, but just no matching costumes. I don't know why it's peeved me so much. Yeah. I did see some fun uh, couples costumes of, thing, of people from, like, doing the costumes from uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, okay, doing, yeah, I've seen. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, there have been a few interesting modern costumes. Did you see anybody do Nope costumes? I saw somebody dressed up as Ricky Joop and somebody else as The Cloud. Yeah, I saw that with the cloud, and then they had, like, the little horse hanging from, like, what would be the cloud. <laughs> I like those. I think those are really, really intriguing. And I think online yeah. that there's been some really good ones uh, that, that match together. And I wanted to see more of those live. That's it. Right, right. Uh, which character from Nope would you dress up as, Daniel Kaluuya or the cloud? Dang, bro. You know, I'm really big on the cloud, but uh, <laughs> probably the IMAX camera. The non-electrical go. IMAX camera. I'd be worrying, <laughs> worrying around. The uh, easiest one, I would be difficult, but the TMZ dude. Just get a helmet, oh, yeah. you're set. You're with good. The mirror helmet, comes with the mask, pretty cool. comes with everything. Yeah, you don't even have to have seen the movie. It looks like a cool costume. It's a nice one. Uh, so yeah, Halloween is upon us. It's It's been a spooky month with a lot of horror releases, and maybe you've been celebrating yourself by, by digging into some horror classics, but we've been celebrating by going to film festivals because it is, as Art mentioned, that time of year where uh, the big film festivals have gone and then the regional film festivals pick at the different scraps and, and pull out some some really great films. So uh, Art made his way through some Chicago stuff. I made, made my way down to Montclair and Philly to catch films as well. Uh, so it's been harder for us to find time both to watch the things that were released in October and to discuss them. So I think we're going to try and catch up on a bunch of October releases for this uh, weekend must watch dive into some of the biggest um, theater stuff in theaters, stuff on streaming, all the stuff that we missed, but there's also just some like cool stuff we want to show off. It's going to be more of a hang. So let's, I don't know, Art, I know you had some new uh, items to add to your collection behind you that you were uh, going to show off to the yeah. inner cuties. Uh, I got a couple of things, some that we've placed orders for now that we have, I guess what would be early black Friday shopping, but I'm, I really like the uh, the packaging and a lot of this A24 <laughs> stuff. Obviously, Ooh. it being one of my favorite movies, I had to go out of my way to go get, oh, I forget which camera this is, Marshall the Shell. And yeah. beautiful 4K 
packaging. And I really like what they've been doing with it. It looks very Criterion-ish with all the little markings that they have. It's not. It's just Marshall the Shell. But it reminded me a lot of that new Wally one that's going out there that people have been sharing, which I also think looks really cool. Um, mm -hmm. That they just released for the Criterion Collection. I think it's one of their oh, first man. animations. And obviously yeah. I know this is considered split with it being a family. First Pixar, at least, I think, on Criterion. Yeah. First Pixar, yeah, for sure. And I think in terms of features, they might have some shorts there that are animated. But uh, them also switching to 4K and Criterion, I'm really happy that they're doing a lot of more 4Ks uh, for A24 as well. Um, so I would highly recommend this movie. Would highly recommend this beautiful-looking DVD that comes with it. Obviously, yeah. with that... Big pin guy when it comes over there. I've not really collected their mugs. I'm a big mug guy. They have a, yeah. I don't know, cookbooks and a bunch of other stuff. You've graced me I with a puzzle, cookbook. but uh, <laughs> one of the things that I really enjoy is their little uh, pins. Character pins, right? You can see right there. Yeah, this one's Ooh. Ada from Lamb. I think she looks sick. She got some of the LME colors there. Of course, you got to get Marshall mm -hmm. up in there. Per perfect as a pin. Uh, this is the Top Gun one. I don't know. <laughs> the the green. Uh, oh, Green Knight. Green Knight. Green Knight from the Green Knight. Yeah. The the tree and then obviously everything everywhere all at once. And then somewhere behind me I have the uh uh what's some faces? Hereditary and uh Midsomar are somewhere in the back for the pins. Yeah. But that's yeah, one of the cooler the... things I think A twenty four does is those character pins. Do you do you have uh, them all merch, bro? Do you have them all still in your packaging or do you like have a, a board that you've put up? Uh, oh, no. Nah. I mean, those are still in the packaging. But to be honest with you, the other ones are out somewhere. Yeah, the other two are right here. I don't know if you can even see them, but they're pinned against each other on a little thing that I had there. But nice. no, yeah, I think that that's one of the best things that they do because at that point, like, oh, my goodness, I'm already messing up my next one. But art uh, down. The uh, just the ability to be able to I don't know if you want to call it enhancing the experience and whatnot of mm -hmm. a movie. They're Pixar ring it, you know. They're right. the premier independent uh, studio, yet they're doing everything that a big studio does. They sell more merch than Focus Features or any other big studio that isn't uh, allowed mm -hmm. to be in the Gotham Awards, <laughs> but they do. So it's a it's a you know they yeah. get to be indie yet big at the same time. Exactly, um, you got to make that hot dog fingers money. Uh, what? Just make them cool. Uh, the other thing, of course, moving on to another collection that are out there is the Fangoria list, which I have been collecting these for the past, uh, definitely over the summer. I've been going to get a lot of the stuff because they have really cool features uh, in terms of what the movies are about. I know the Nope yeah. one was really timed for its release, and I love the information it gives you on the Nope thing. Like, the movie just came out. I'll be getting to that. We finished all the special features, and even in the most recent special features, like the final ones for the 4K, they're still missing stuff that the magazine still has. So I would highly, if you are a horror fan, even if not, you're just a, a fan of film and concerts and such, they get different people to come in in these Fangoria stuff. Everybody, I feel, has heard of Fangoria to a certain degree. Yeah. They're a little bit more expensive as magazines but damn are they worth it i tell you as someone who's been collecting a couple of them mm -hmm. this has been the most recent one right here obviously having uh michael myers right big release Dick this, this came in bent bro luckily oh. it's okay but like the box itself was bent uh i just dropped it so i thought i had screwed it up <laughs> right at the end right before showing it but this was one that alina got me because they did like a whole back issue stuff and the black phone one was one of the biggest ones that sold oh. out so going out of well that's her way other to find it the that's special. the other thing that was funny because black phone was a movie that got delayed months and months Sleeper and i remember hit. i remember fangoria had their hard copy out and then the movie got delayed a couple more months yeah and it was crazy Ooh, because by, by that point people, 
Yeah, people went back and snatched this one up, and it was interesting, you know, because they give little excerpts of different things, and they're like, it's really difficult to get this guy on there. And they were talking about how they choose different magazines and how they weren't able to go get, uh, like, I don't know if it was Pinhead. It was somebody else that they weren't able to get. Oh, they weren't able to get Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They're like, yeah, they're very iffy on what they give us, uh, and especially the fans because they're like, are you spoiling? And they're like, Sometimes they'll complain about this because they'll be like, what the heck's a black phone? They're like, trust this is going to be a big hit. Everyone complains about the magazine, and then it's the magazine that sells out. So mm-hmm. uh, it's just always cool to see you know, them still continuing the medium that is an actual magazine that you can hold, yeah. that there's a so whole audience you, for there that they sell out. Have you been subscribed since that Nope issue now? Yeah, since the Nope issue. I, you nice. Call me a fan. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's... It's a really valuable resource, especially if you are a person who really loves those kinds of nice. Got the yeah, stack they, developed. They got the X one, obviously. Uh, yeah. So this is what I was telling you right here. This and the Nope one, because that's the Jenna Ortega one. But this and the Nope one, uh, they're the same issue. This is just a special mm. edition one that has the cover. Everything right. inside is the same, but this is the one that inside that the cover has specifically for Nope. But they both have the same stories. And what I meant about like this is. Something to do with the weekend. It's the guy who did the prosthetics for the weekend, the Batman, and then also did some horror stuff. So it's like even if you're not a big horror fan, listening to the right. makeup artists and, and different people who have worked on stuff, I think make them definitely worth it. This is the old Halloween Kills one, and it came with a poster, which was fire. Uh, this one seems like it's stuck here. Oh, no. Uh, this last one over here, which was the Candyman issue. So there's there's plenty to read in all of this, and I, I think they're worth it if you – want to get more into the making of movies i would highly recommend checking out fangoria's bundles i should start a library have people over if they wanted to read right (laughs) but it's my second uh, second little recommendation uh in between we have this is one that uh mama elami got us this week and i didn't even know this was a thing netflix a netflix game where it's pretty simple you just it's apples to apples there is one exec in the group, and then everybody else kind of has to pitch a show. And the cards kind of, like, waver the plot points of what your show's supposed to be. Might play this with the intercuties at some point. Is uh, that sanctioned Netflix? Or is I that a... It is, bro. No, they've got everything on here. It's, like, it's detailed to the max. If it's not, I mean, this is the cleanest counterfeit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but from what I know, yeah. At Netflix, wow. all this stuff's on there. I mean, is it apples to apples? Because they just stole the same premise. Everyone... <laughs> It's like the same type of game reskinned. You know how like on apps, it's always like a crazy adventure game and it's just match yeah. three. Every card board game has just been the same thing. It's just apples to apples. But... I just like that most games are like, okay, you play a wizard or you play a, a knight. And this is like your Ted Sarandos. <laughs> what would you pitch? Yeah. Um, there it is, baby. Just beautiful. Just beautiful, clean looking steelbook in every sense of the word it comes in 173 which isn't the full imax but as long as you got yourself a disc the movie will expand to be the tallest Ooh, it could possibly be really so uh that just came out i saw there was still some available unlike the top gun steelbook which i believe comes out next week and those are gone so if you are a big collector like myself definitely get on the marshall the shell one but that nope steelbook because those steelbooks go like crazy so yeah this is some of the picks that we've had magazines games movies pins i've still got all those posters 
the till, the Amsterdam, the Batman one you gave me. I have like still not unpacked from New York, dude. But I, I went up because we were talking about New York last week and how they sold the one that I really wanted. Right. And I see people selling the till poster for 30 bucks online. This one? That poster, bro. It's going for 30 Interesting. I, I might it's have an to investment. consider that. Right? It's an investment. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were just sitting out. They're just chilling there. So yeah. that was a lot of $30. <laughs> yeah, I mean, always fun to add to the uh, growing collection of, of art and memorabilia and media. Um, mm-hmm. I know I know that's a, a habit that I've, like, I was really into for a long time. And then I sort of, like, purged myself of, of buying a bunch of stuff. And now I'm, like, I kind of, I kind of have been restarting my collection, you know, going to... Uh, Going to the stores when I can find them, picking up random VHSs and toys and stuff. It's it's fun, especially now it's that we have it. like a little set to showcase it on. You know exactly. That's yeah, what it yeah, is. Yeah. Anyway, lots of cool stuff, uh, but we should get into the movies and talk about what we are watching because there's been a lot since we last had a chance to talk, and we're still watching Blonde. <laughs> yeah, still trying to get our way through Blonde. Um, but there's some other stuff out there as well. Uh, some stuff that's been doing really, really well at the box office. Some stuff that maybe is doing not as well with critics. Uh, let's start it off with probably the biggest movie that we haven't talked about yet on Intercut, and that is Black Adam. The hierarchy of power is changing in the DCU. DCU, Literally. whichever one. Uh, It is the movie that The Rock has been trying to star in for 16 years, I think it is now. 2007 was the first time that they uh, published reports about The Rock trying to be in a Black Adam movie. The superhero landscape has changed a lot since then, but I, I don't know. This movie feels in a lot of ways like it is trying to be a superhero movie from like maybe 10 years ago it borrows a lot of elements from i think more successful superhero films and integrates them here into its story about a uh ancient uh hero who's freed from his uh, earthly tomb to help uh aid a series of um commoners i guess and then also uh engage with the justice society it's a it's a mess of ideas but audiences have responded mostly favorably it's got a pretty good rotten tomatoes audience score art where where are you on black adam with the critics with the audiences or somewhere in between uh i feel like most audiences from the theaters that i've seen from the theaters that i've been in and from the posts that i've seen online they're there for one scene I don't think they care about the, what is this, two hours and four minutes that precede the one scene in this movie. I feel most people have already seen it. We're going to screw it around it. For the most part, it's a super scene. A lot of people really liked it. I think yeah. that's what most fans are reviewing, right? Yeah. You're talking about the hierarchy and the DC, DC, DCU. I think they said is what it is now because it's not DC. They dropped the E and now it's DCU. It's cleaner. And the, and the, and the D stands for DC. So it's DC, <laughs> CU. Um, they have changed complete power. And in that, you do have new CEOs, one of them being James Gunn. And I think a lot of people are looking forward to see like what's going to be revamped. I find it funny because, as you're describing it, is it a movie that stands on its own? Or is it a movie where the fans are really excited because it's a DC property? Right. And we're at that weird moment where the new CEOs 
and the ending of this movie are like we're taking this in a new direction, but the new direction is a rearview mirror. The old direction <laughs> of, of the old direction. So we're I'm just go really brand new direction, the same as the old direction, but it's brand I don't know new what's this going time, on, bro. Yeah. It's it's the weirdest thing, yeah. So it's like I understand the people who've been wanting that why they're happy, but there's people who are like we're finally doing something new. I was like, it sounds like the same, like literally, it's the same characters. <laughs> um so i don't know what to make of that yeah it's also beyond the whole like we're doing something new but we're doing it old again this movie visually is so indebted to Zack snyder's style uh whether it is like just the sort of uh darker grayer look to some of these these set pieces or it is the like ultra slow-mo uh oh, super scenes like just borrowing from everything that he's done and from films like Watchmen going forward yeah. it is so very 300 so, yeah so very 300 very uh, i don't know just very indebted to his vision of what a superhero film should look like and you know the very first time that it does the sort of slowed down action scene i thought it was kind of fun you know it's sort of like the 15th time we've gotten the quicksilver effect it's in a movie, but it's, it's, it's still decently fun. But when you're watching, you know, to a two hour action film and maybe like 50 minutes of it are in super slow-mo, mm-hmm. it feels like padding almost. Right. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit like, let's get to the actual stuff. Especially because the premise of the story is that you're telling it in two timelines. One, which was the past, I believe they say five or six thousand years ago, is yeah. when Tet Adam was uh, just a regular person who lived in this fictional uh, city that they have there in the Middle East. Though it's still very much representative of a Middle East city where they were slaves. They get taken over, and in the present time, they've never seen this this hero figure, this godlike figure named Tet Adam, and now they're looking to kind of break out of that. And a lot of the people who you have in this movie, uh, some of which are stars that I very much enjoyed out of Netflix shows this year. Uh, Mo, who's been in Rami, mm-hmm. who has his own show that I think is one of the best of the year over on Netflix. He plays the sibling to one of the uh, women who's looking for the crown, who's looking yeah. for the stuff that she needs to be able to resurrect Ted Adam. She has her own son there. And you're kind of getting the story where they're like, yeah, we're the people, the refugees who are kind of like outcast out of our own place mm-hmm. and we feel like there's a very american justice society league that's in here trying to help but not really help and no one's really doing much and we need to take a stand i'm like wow this is very subtle metaphors uh and then you got kanye in the uh, trailer music which perfectly now blends right. in with what they're trying to go for um you have such a, a a story that's trying to i don't really want to call it nuanced but it, it's it's the second of these that we've gotten from the dc the previous one being wonder woman 1984 four, five, whatever that was, Mm -hmm. which was also a really interesting, like we're being self-aware of what's happening overseas and like the, the, the different, you know, powers that be. And, um, yeah, we're just going to pretend like our hero, be it in wonder woman or here doesn't come into clash in some way. And I think that's where it contrasts with its goofiness. We're like, yeah, we kind of want to use your real world landscape. Um, but then it's also just a rock, just just yeah. a rock being the first one who's ever killed. And we laugh at that because we're like, well, you're technically not we, in the world that you're in this new DCU. We have seen heroes kill. Um, mm. But it, it is starting to feel more integrated, even if it is fragmented. It feels like a TV cameo when you see someone from a suicide yeah. squad. The suicide no. squad is big, but it's someone from there coming in just to like tune, literally FaceTime in zoom in. And you're like, this is OK. Th- this is the closest that a DC film has felt to 
the Marvel extended universe kind of thing, right? Where just somebody will drop Almost. in. And I'm not I'm not Almost. talking tonally. I'm talking just like the way that you're saying characters will show yeah. up that the that the stinger has like implications for the future films. It, it feels it, like they come in with a lower third that tells you what property they were first featured in. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't know, it to me it all felt a little a, a little Jumbled. like they're straining to, a little like they're trying too hard to give the fans the things they think the fans will want, rather than just doing something good or interesting. I also know that I'm not a big like comic books person, so I'm I'm like going to uh, whatever came first and stuff like that. I don't really know. I know it's all a mix of like copyright infringement and plagiarism and inspiration and whatever. But like, why is every single hero in this movie? a copy of a hero from a different movie. Like it's not enough that like, don't do them like they're that, the justice. You don't want to have that conversation back up. <laughs> you try to have a comic book talk right now. I kind of want to, cause it's just like, they, they don't have anybody that doesn't feel like somebody we saw in a movie two years ago. Well, the, yes. At the Adam dude and the way that he grows up. Yes. It's very much like Adam. What you are playing, what you are discussing now is all of this happened years ago in comics and they're all yeah. fighting to be the first person to adapt right. it to the big screen. Cause they know the moment they adapt it to the big screen, everybody's going to be like, well, that's the one that came first, regardless of which exactly. one actually did. Yes. Exactly. And, and, and I agree I with am. you. There should because be directors yeah. realizing we've seen this. I know this is Adam's power, but we know that everyone who's going to buy a ticket for a movie has already seen it done better there. So what are you going to do different? And it doesn't ever seem like they try. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, it almost feels like they want to be comfortable with like, okay, we're just going to mimic what you already right. did and we'll be able to get away with it. It's like, that's not no, the point. I wonder, I wonder if it's almost like they're hoping people will spend less time. People who aren't paying that close attention will be like, oh, it's like the Ant-Man guy, right? Yeah. Not even noticing it's a whole different character. And, and as long as they combine it. Yeah, I think they're like the Dr. Justice. Fate, Dr. Strange. Yeah, they're, they're another like league thing. Right? Yeah, the helmet that he puts it on, he gets yeah. the powers. Um, I, I think that they're really trying hard to push him forward, which is funny because this is a movie that clashed a lot with Shazam. And I think you've seen Shazam. I'm curious to see how you would compare both of them because as it turned out, he didn't want to make a cameo in Shazam because, you know, The Rock counts punches. Right. And I, one of our jokes for the for the cameo, see, why did it take so long to announce it? The, the one right at the end is because, you know, they were they were uh, counting stares at each other as Dwayne likes to do in his movies. But um, the fact that he didn't appear in Shazam because he felt that, no, it needs to be an organic character who grows out of it. It can't just be a part of another movie. And then he's got the whole Justice Society there as a part of another movie. Right. Uh, yeah, it, it's crazy. And his cameo is crazy because if you remember the cameo at the end of Shazam, I don't know if you recall it. A very similar cameo. It's a very similar cameo, but they didn't get the sign off. Right. Because Papa Dwayne Johnson got the sign off. And it reminds me a lot of when the uh, Spider-Verse boys had requested the voices of certain spider boys who were the character before and they got denied because they were already working on what would end up being uh, um, No Way Home. So it's like you still see these dealings behind the scenes. And now that uh, uh, what's-his-name-is-in-charge, James Gunn, I think a lot of people are excited, but I don't think they realize like uh, switching of powers doesn't stop the problems that come with such a big franchise. The yeah. one thing Marvel's been really good at is that they have so many problems behind the scenes, but it never becomes vocal. The restore the Snyder Cut thing, is probably the biggest backlash a company can get to being bullied into releasing a cut. 
and they're they're like the there's no release to whatever cuts for marvel there's a release the suicide squad cut there's a release the birds of prey there's a release so many for dc so i don't think that's going to change i know people are excited for gun um but i see there's I see there having to be like a much bigger overhaul to get to the success. I know we're not talking quality, but at least yeah. the success of what we can all agree the MCU has gotten. Yeah, and the MCU only really got as huge as it did through releasing lots of films, really building them up, really building anticipation for the clashes. And, you know, maybe DC is trying to skip a couple steps, but uh, they've at least got like some big properties and big movie stars attached to that. Um, mm -hmm. You were you were talking earlier about comparing this one to Shazam, and I think ultimately, like I think Shazam's a lot more successful um, in that it feels like it knows its tone and sticks to it. Whereas Black Adam is sort of trying to be too many things to too many people because uh, somebody in the comments, Sassy Caterpillar, called it DC's Terminator, and there's like definitely a Terminator influence here on how they treat the character and how the character is this sort of like guardian uh unwittingly to to some regular people but at the same time it's trying to do the kind of like meta superhero comedy that marvel has kind of done a lot of and uh you know there's like all the posters in the kids room and stuff like that i i don't know none of the comedy really worked for me here and when it does try to get into like the traumatic flashback stuff it, it's it's feels like it's just padding the movie like it, it's so tacked on i don't know I, I i think that while the rock is decently fun in these types of roles there's just like not a whole lot of for him to do in black Adam, at said. least thus far it's the 2000s type of action film it's yeah. a little updated but it doesn't really do anything new your standard paper cut characters there's not really much to him other than being a quieter rock this time around and I just switched the surrounding characters from Mo to the the small kid. Weren't the cliche like, oh, I'm going to say a pop culture reference right here. Because um, then it does feel derivative of a lot of 80s movies. But, hey, we'll see. I'm a little disappointed we didn't get Shazam this year. I don't know. It was supposed to be December. They pushed it back. I don't know. It's because they felt yeah. that Black Adam needed more breathing room. But I, I agree with you. I think I'm they more thought on the Shazam James side. Cameron needed more breathing room. <laughs> I don't know what they needed. But, well, I guess that's right, yeah. Because they now yeah. need to please him. But... I'm looking uh, more forward to Shazam. They got the dynamic down. Definitely. All right, let's move on to the new film from Chan Wook Park. It is the new DCU. Leave. Uh, <laughs> I talked about this a little bit during our New York Film Festival episode with Austin, but Art, you've had a chance to catch up now on this film yep. about a seasoned detective investigating a suspicious death when he starts to focus on the man's wife and develop a bit of a adoration attraction obsession mm -hmm. uh, it's yeah. a really interesting film that is a mix of different feelings and tones and moods in a way that only a director like chan mcpark i think could kind of find the balance in between uh art what did you make of decision to leave uh there's been a lot of discussion on tv and adult films and uh, i guess the approach of what you take from a movie when you're watching it and there's a part of this movie that's pulling you in as this murder mystery thriller right mm -hmm. and it's fascinating and then i feel the movie itself makes fun of you for wanting the murder mystery thriller the same way that the main lead detective is always told you don't find happiness unless there's a murder in town mm -hmm. um it's a movie that I wasn't expecting to really be about emotions, especially when they hit you with the title line in the film um, about 
adults and not really just their mourning, but what they long for. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, I'm very curious to rewatch it with different subtitles, which is a discussion you and I have been having mm-hmm. because they sent us a link and those link have like open caption. When I saw it in the theater, the Gene Siskel, they had it in closed captions and it is a movie that relies on translation to a degree where damn near got to learn both languages that they have in this film because one of the characters is Chinese and obviously the majority of the movie is in Korean and there's a lot of overlap in terms of someone saying a phrase or a word or a sentence that sounds similar in each other's languages but means something different. Every American audience who doesn't speak those languages, boom, just went over your head. And there's a lot of that that I really want to dig into because I think it's pivotal uh, in understanding the movie or it's pivotal in having a translation of it right i know Mm -hmm. in parasite that there's a lot of things that we miss because we don't understand oh what that means culturally to them and i think those are points where you either need a really good translator to get as close as they possibly can or that's when you find a way to make a uh, a remake that can get into the pocket of whatever those cultural nuances are but there are several in this movie especially with the way that they clash um and it's a movie that's kind of like fragmented into three parts, which I think is why yeah. a lot of people, even when we came out of the theater, were, it was like a whole group of like college kids who were like, yeah, this felt like it should have been like a series. <laughs> and with it being a series, it could work that way. And having seen enough of uh, his movies, no, I, I yeah. think, <laughs> you know, we're big. I know we're saying like, ah, this should have been a miniseries, right? That's, that's, I would put that on, on some merch for Intercut if we had some. It should be a miniseries. It shouldn't be a miniseries. This is exactly yeah. what it needs to be. It, it could be long for people's taste, and I can see it definitely like, whoa, are we going to do a whole other investigation? I feel like I just sat through a whole movie, and then the movie goes, we're going to do a whole other investigation. Yeah. It's long for sure, but I think all of that has to play with a character who's dealing with insomnia, who feels like he can never get ahead of it, and the pacing of the movie is meant for that. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be a series because the series would be stopping episodically. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I wanted the- to... To love it a lot more but again i don't know how much of that has to do with me having to catch it again and the uh translations at the bottom because you're also seeing a lot of clues and a lot of them don't get translated you only get translated the main focus of what the degree or the paper that's right in front of you and you're wondering does the other stuff come into play so i feel like i haven't fully experienced the movie no i totally get that and that was sort of my reaction uh when i was talking about it last week in that i don't know if i feel fully prepared to like talk about it as in a, in a way that feels like I have a grip on it because there is so much happening there and yeah. the way in which uh, it'll move from one idea to another is so interesting um, you're I right mean, about that bro you would you, you were in one station you woke up and you were like near rocks you're like how did we smoothly transition yeah and like you you mentioned that idea about how this one wouldn't work as well as a miniseries I completely agree because part of what does make it special is all these disparate elements being held up against each other you know like yeah. feeling that whiplash is part of the experience and I exactly. don't know you know, I, I again, I do want to rewatch it and and feel like I have a better grip of it. But um, it is so fascinating, and I think really does kind of give you uh, that sort of puts you in that in that in the shoes of the character in a way in the uh, mystery of it all, right? Yeah. Keeping you guessing. And That's fantastic. Uh, I thought I thought the way it ended was also beautifully done. Um, it, I'm excited to catch it again because yeah, this is one of our master filmmakers, and uh, there's so much so many interesting things happening so many interesting shots too um i loved how this film was shot and, yeah mm-hmm. 
Uh, no, I thought it was really good. I would also highly recommend the Gene Sisko if y'all have not been there in Chicago. Really beautiful theater. Really great sound design, especially for this movie. So, yeah, put them both on your radar. It should be coming to movies soon in case you want to catch it in the comfort of your own home. But I know it started rolling out uh, wide this past week. And with the coming weeks, hopefully you'll have this movie near you because we at least think uh, it'll be talked about all the way until the next award season. Definitely. All right, let's talk about a very different film. It's Ticket to Paradise. This one, uh, as our inner cuties have been letting us know, is available or was available internationally before it was available in the U.S. I don't know what sparked that decision, given how big George Clooney and Julia Roberts are as movie stars. Maybe they think they they're bigger over there cachet internationally than they do yes, in America. Sir. Yeah, because uh, we haven't gotten necessarily like a big Julia Roberts or George Clooney movie in what feels like almost a decade i mean uh what's worse is what we got isn't big the midnight whatever yeah Uh, i don't know exactly yeah it it was easier in your mind yeah it was easier in your mind to be like they haven't done anything than to have to be like they did do that yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so they're back together again um as they've been a few times in their career uh, headlining a romantic comedy, a genre that both are familiar with, with Ticket to Paradise, where they play a divorced couple teaming up to travel to Bali and stop their daughter from uh, entering into a marriage too young, the same way that they did. Uh, Caitlin Deaver plays that daughter. We like Caitlin Deaver a lot. She doesn't really have a character in this movie. Uh, it's like she's supposed to be this recent they call her a college grad, but they also say she's going to be a lawyer soon. So is she a college grad or a law school grad? And also, like, for a soon-to-be lawyer, she seems to not be that, like, I don't know, like, bookish or workish. Book I don't know. Yeah, uh, good good one. Um, I don't know. A lot of this film kind of feels just sort of, like, engineered in reverse. We want to send these two lovable movie stars to a beautiful location and have them fight until they're they're friends again. And it it just kind of feels like very laid out and not like they get to these places organically. Um, Even the charm of George Clooney and Julie Roberts couldn't really sell that transition. They're very fun to watch. Like I I gave this one a negative review. I have it as two stars on my letterbox. But that being said, like it's not, unpleasant to watch because they are so uh radiant and charming and i like i get it i fall for the george clooney smile the way that most smile that most people do uh but there's just not a lot of jokes in this comedy i I didn't find myself laughing really at all and i don't know if you've got me sitting in a seat for over an hour and a half and i don't really laugh until the blooper reel in the credits i feel like there's something wrong with your movie uh something wrong with your comedy I, I wanted to like this one, and I don't. I don't want to say this is like one of the more annoying films or something that I watched because it's, it's inoffensive. It's fine. It's probably would have been better suited for like a Peacock release or something like that. But it's just not what you want from the like grand return to romantic comedies for Julia Roberts and George Clooney. It just feels like they could have used a little more punch up on this one. It's one of those you said they reverse engineered it. Uh, they reverse engineered it with where they wanted to go on vacation, mm-hmm. found out where, what spots they wanted to go to, and then kind of wrote stuff in there. But The funny thing is they didn't actually shoot in Bali. They shot in, like, Western Australia. Wherever they shot, it was beautiful. But, yeah. Okay. Interesting. 
I, I'm, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like exactly what it was pitched to be. I'm, I'm still kind of excited. I want to take my mom to go see it. Yeah, it's it's a perfect – actually, one of the first things that I said when I left the theater was, like, that's a great movie to watch with your parents. That It's a perfectly inoffensive, decent well, Thanksgiving vibe. right around the corner? It'll probably be on Peacock by then or wherever. Yeah. Uh, are you also going to take your mom to the theater to watch I'm, Terrifier 2? I'm taking the kids, bro. <laughs> G- give me all the little ones. We're going to go trick-or-treating at the local multiplex. Uh, this is disgusting, Zach. Stay away uh, from this one. Yeah, you, you told me not to watch it. No, 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 no. Do you know the history of Terrifier? I, I don't. Uh, I didn't even realize there was a Terrifier 1 until this one started doing numbers at the box office. It did. Uh, if you click Damien Leone right there, he is a director who has been working on this little figure known as Art the Clown. Tokayo that I have right there, of course. Uh, he first came out in this little movie called All Hallows Eve. You can see it right there. Yeah. This was kind of an anthology movie to a degree where a girl is watching different VHS tapes. And out of the three shorts, two of them he had already worked on before. Terrifier was a short little film that he made, but you can't make money off short films. Makes a feature out of it. First time you see him on there. That should be the short right there that you're looking at. Um, so it proceeds at 2011, 2013. By that point, you know. The clown's out there in the stratosphere. He's kind of already been known as the supernatural entity. Terrifier comes out in 2016. It costs like a pack of gum. Terrifier 2, I didn't realize, costs three packs of gum. This thing's only 250k. Yeah. I, we have this discussion a lot, so just in case we have one of these viewers who like doesn't realize that budgets for movies are not like what you get paid a salary for. Like Budgets for movies are different, so $250,000 is a lot. Mm. not for a movie that's got to live on forever that is nothing people don't realize like a mill is nothing mm. five mil are the blumhouse budgets that they tell you is a shoestring so 250 is nothing yeah it has made all that money back and more right now this is the movie that they've said halloween continues to lose more viewers be it because it's at home and people are going to go see terrifier in droves i do not want to see a terrifier costume out i already asked alina you're in a you're in an alleyway and Art the Clown's on one side and Ghostface is on the other. I'm embracing Ghostface like I've never seen him before. Like, he's the one from Scary Movie 2. I, no, Art the Clown is a demented fool. He is, uh, he has been pitched by the guy who plays him as Charlie Chaplin if he came from hell. He is a ghoul. He is a demon. He does nothing but try to terrify people in the most disgusting way possible there are some stuff in the first movie that kids should not be watching there's stuff in the second movie that kids shouldn't even be descri- it shouldn't even be described to them. <laughs> yeah i mean it sounds completely sadistic i mean when you get horror films there is like a spectrum right there is sort of the the more innocent kind of like jump scare whatever there's the a24 kind of more psychological horror and then you get closer and closer to the real, like, sick, twisted, sadistic, gore, uh, excessive violence. Like, even beyond slasher stuff, you get into full torture porn. Are we are we full torture porn? Is this, like, way beyond... Is this hostile or even going beyond that? I mean, they don't laugh at you at hostile, and that's what makes this more demented, <laughs> is that... He's also not that slow with it. He's pretty quick. He goes in, he gets the job done. He's more like a hitman. You know, like he's, you know, <laughs> uh, he's he's uh, what's it called? Irishmaning it when he goes in there. Um, but he does do it with some joy. Hmm. This is uh, a clown that doesn't necessarily talk. And as I was reading up on him, it's supposed to be an invert about a mime during World War II who made so many kids laugh right before their demise. 
like it was this clown who was supposed to be this really big figure and they've taken that look and applied it to art the clown the terrifier who's gone to just do all of these crazy stuff in the second one he's dealing with a family and there's a lot more of a family element that comes into play because the first movie is like an hour 20 this second one if you scroll down a little bit is it's pushing two hours Ooh. i don't know why as, that's as a hefty. long horror movie I know if you knew this, but I feel people need to know before they catch this. You're yeah. going to be sitting there for a very long time. Uh, he comes up. I can never say that you're bored, but I can definitely say that uh, there will be things that will cross people's line. Uh, where you're like, yeah, this is a little bit too much for me. It's it's the way that he goes about showing you certain things, the types of kills that he does. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty gross. I can't say that any of the characters surrounding... The survivors, you know, the ones who are trying to live, uh, really stood out to me as much. I, I would... I don't know, I kind of like the ones from the first a little bit more, only because they're mm. so overtly dumb that it made us laugh, and they earned the Terrifier kills. In the second one, they're kind of innocent, so you kind of feel bad that they're getting mutilated by this clown who just comes to screw around. But um, look, I'll put it, it's very effective. So many clowns yeah. that we have out there in the world. To have another one where right. he is purposefully designed to not look like Pennywise. He doesn't speak so that he can't be Pennywise um, and has to do all of these miming type things. I think it makes it scarier. I think we've seen so many Joker uh, reactions that it's gotten to the point of like, oh, okay, we know exactly what type of Joker you're doing to the point that you're not emulating a character. You're emulating Heath Ledger's, uh, Mark right. Hamill's, whatever it is. Terrifier is... Yeah, it, it's a... <laughs> Why'd you gotta bring that up, bro? That was him, wasn't it? That was him. Alina refuses to believe that was him yelling at Tyler, the creator, because... I, I think it is. We're not you gonna get to the little... Diddy yeah. talk. <laughs> that was scarier than Terrifier 2. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, in terms of the clown... The clown cinematic universe? <laughs> the CCU? Uh, hey, it, it's not gonna be everyone's cup of tea, but I think it delivers on all of the news that have broke out because of it. I, I think it's been able to go in there and achieve what it needed to, especially with such a, uh, such a small budget. Hey, that's a pretty impressive uh, amount of box office to do for such a small movie. So shout out to Art the Clown. Uh, never want to see you again, bro, but I see you got a third <laughs> one in the works. It sounds like you like the first one more, but do you need to have seen that one to go into Terrifier 2? I don't think you need to, but there is actually an interesting timeline narrative thing that they do. Okay. Okay. So it reminds me a lot of uh, Orphan, the same way you would be like, you don't need to see the first one, but you probably should see the first one. It's right. like that. Uh, and then a quick question from the live stream. Devesh is asking if he's like the Joker. Um, I mean, clowns, connections, sure. The guy who plays Chaos. him, the way that he won him was when he was auditioning and they told him he got to do mime stuff. He pretended to rip someone's skull open, I believe their neck, <laughs> and he tasted the blood, but he he thought it needed more salt. So he, he ad-libbed adding more salt to the severed head, and the director was like, you got the part. So <laughs> you, you are sadistic. Uh, if, you if that reminds you of the Joker, then yes, he's a lot like the Joker. But the guy has said, the guy who plays him, that uh, his dream role is to play the Joker one day. Oh. So... So there is some influence there. Interesting. I don't think it's like the Joker. If the Joker was on the other side, I'm running the Joker, bro. <laughs> Squeeze me with the acid. That's better than what this man does over here. <laughs> All right. Let's take a hard shift into Amsterdam. Amsterdam. film that we talked about previously, or I talked about previously on Intercut. But Art, you're missing that week. So we didn't get a chat about the new David O. Russell film that we saw we together. Not. In New York, what were your thoughts on uh, this starry ensemble piece? Beautiful IMAX. 
that we saw it in as well over mm-hmm. uh, at the Lincoln Center. There was another movie that I'm blinking on right now that to me is kind of the inverse of this. This is a movie that has a very jumbled up script. It's going and aiming for a lot of things, but it sounds like a Chicago rapper on a long, long podcast rambling about things that he may not fully know about. But it has a cast that is impeccable. Every single person in here comes in giving it their all. I personally can't name a bad performance in it. Uh, I think Margot Robbie's fantastic. I think that Christian Bale is incredible in every project that he's worked on with David O. Russell. And this is no different. Even if I don't think he knew where his character may be going by the end of it, there is stuff that shouldn't work for his character, but Christian makes it work. All of the other supporting characters, um, Mike Myers. Really liked yeah. him in this movie as a small character. Andrea Riseborough, uh, the duel of the cops. One of them is Matthias Schoenarts, and I'm blanking on the other guy uh, who's always uh, playing his third partner. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Everyone is coming in here, batting on all cylinders. They said this movie cost 100 mil. I hope everyone in the cast got paid because <laughs> this movie did not make back that money. Um, no. I, I don't understand the focus of the story. You and I, after watching this, came home and we're listening to interviews. And I think it was Mike Myers specifically who said, the movie's about your Amsterdam. It, you're supposed to finish the movie and go, what's my Amsterdam? What's the thing I run away to? That's what the movie's saying. You and I look at each other. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning and we go, is that what the movie's <laughs> Really? I never got that in the movie, but yeah. I can see how it got lost in yeah. all of the stuff he was aiming for in this movie. Um, this is one where it feels like it should have been longer. It, there are moments where two characters just disappear, and I'm like, what? Where'd you, oh, you're just going to come back later and give me the, the recap of what you guys did? No, I want to see that. I want to see the investigations here. It seems like it's a very deep world where he's basing it off, basing elements off of real world secret societies. Right. But then even went ahead to make his own little symbols, which were interesting flips on some uh, very big iconography that's out there. Uh, It just doesn't really add up tonally, but also like what they were building it up to be. Because even in the uh, storyline that that you're following, you're like, I don't know, it kind of seems like you're you're fighting against a threat that's going to wipe you out way easier than you think. So I don't really understand this journey that we're going on. Yeah, when I was talking about it, I, I was mentioning how... I felt like for this movie that's trying to give you the feeling of you're falling into this big conspiracy that can shift Thank the powers you. of the world, it feels way too much like you can solve the problem by going and talking to two or three people. And mm-hmm. and maybe that's like like you said, that a too, miniseries yeah. or something, maybe, uh, maybe lengthening that plot would have given you the time to really get into the like uh, nature of trying to get to the bottom of this conspiracy that you can really actually go hunt people down and go back and forth. But like it all for, for as crazy as it's supposed to be, it all resolves really cleanly and easily. It it resolves by like looking up into the rafters and being like, Oh, there's a guy there. Like it's just too, yeah, it doesn't add up. As you said, you're doing interstellar travel. And then one of the characters is like, is the power love? I think the power is love. And you're like, yeah, there, it's this massive worldwide conspiracy. And then they're like, but if we do we have love in our trio of friends? And I'm like, what does that have to do with the other? It's trying to balance two completely different types of movies, a thriller and a friendship uh, journey. And I don't know. It felt like two scripts matched together that luckily you have really great performances. And what I would say is the best thing that Taylor Swift put out this past month. So for that, put it on your radar if you're interested. Uh, yeah. If not, don't worry. A hundred million other people did not <laughs> yeah, invest in watching this movie. You're in good company if you didn't watch it. 
maybe the better mystery thriller in theaters is see how they run. I didn't get to catch this one, but I, I think you did. Yes. Uh, it had a really quick flip in theaters where HBO Max is about to have it this weekend. So if you haven't seen it, we might have it on the new to see. You will have this in the comfort of your own home. And I may recommend a double feature between this and the outfit, which is on Prime or Peacock. Yeah. One of those two. That would be a really good double feature. I have Prime. the outfit. Uh, yeah, I think so. The outfit has edged this out for me just a little bit in terms of the performances and the way that that movie plays out. But you have a similar type of uh, story here where you have a mystery thriller of a murder, but it's taking place within this play. And everyone in the play has different reasons for wanting to stay at the play or why they don't like somebody else at the play. In particular, because the play is going to be turned into a movie. But they can't turn it into a movie because some people worry that the play isn't going to sell anymore because now it's a movie. So you're wondering, like, what's going to happen here? I don't know if they spoil who specifically dies, but it's a pretty prominent character, not just in the cast, but for this uh, show that ends up getting it. And they have to figure out who is the murderer. It is very meta. A lot of people have called this um, Wes Anderson. I don't see the I, I do see the Wes Anderson. I feel like that's the cliche to just be like, oh my gosh, things are very flat or there's a very nice pattern. It must be Wes Anderson. It uses a lot of his cast, which I could also see why they say Wes Anderson. Right. To me, it is more um, Baby Driver. Okay. More Edgar Wright. Soho. It's more Edgar Wright because of the way he jokes about it. Uh, the way it breaks the fourth wall, where you'll have a character being like, what, are we going to jump three weeks later? And it says three weeks later, you know, that to me is more him than it is uh, Wes. I, you know, the characters are fun to hang out with. The mystery takes its twists and turns that I think are, are kind of intriguing. But it reminds me a lot of Scream in where it's commenting on what you already know. And then that's the movie. Mm. It's like, hey, don't mystery thrillers do this? And you're like, yeah, it does do that. And they're like, yeah, it does do that. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's that's your take on it. Got right. it. But it got close towards the end, dude, where I was like, yo, this is willing to do something a little different. Interesting. And then it didn't commit to it. And I wish it would have commit to it. But I, I, I love the cliches that they try to flip on here. Um, that idea of like you're almost narrating what's supposed to happen in a mystery thriller. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a little meta with it. Um, but it doesn't do anything too new. Yeah. You, you mentioned Scream, which is probably like the high end of that, like, we're self-aware and meta and- Scream, no, 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 no. Scream 2022. Okay, well, yeah. Not the, the original uh, Scream. Scream is the best. You're right. Yes. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's the high end of the, like, yes. we're acknowledging it and doing it at the same time. I think about, like, I know a lot of people like the movie more than me, but Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent earlier this year, where I hated the way that they would, like, talk about the plot as the plot was happening. Uh, yes, it's that. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. It's that sometimes. Okay. There you go. That's the best way to put it. Um, if you like that, you know, a lot of people like that type of comedy. I just feel it's a, it's, it's incomplete. I'm like, yeah. okay, you're addressing what the audience already knows. What makes right. you a movie and why the audience came is that next step, not the talks that we have after the movie. Yeah. It and that's what like I felt the new for the script. Just a cop out. That's what it is. It's like, yeah. yeah, you're discussing what people already know instead of doing something different. The original scream knew it's like, this is something people think about, but they've never sat in a movie yeah. and been given it. By 2022, we've sat with every version of this. So uh, it's still intriguing, but I definitely think the best place to watch it is on HBO. Uh, it's a very brisk movie. It's enjoyable. The cast is great. And our guy from Triangle of Sadness kills it in this movie as well. He's so Ooh. charismatic. Okay. Um, so yeah, really good cast. Very cool. Um, so maybe 
a slight recommendation for see how they run, maybe mm. a more hearty recommendation for the outfit, which I actually caught up with uh, on my plane back uh, good, into bro. the country. Yeah, it's it's really solid. I I you I remember you telling me that it was good, but uh, it, it's really just a very satisfying watching the pieces all fall into place movie, uh, a very good contained set movie, a chamber piece. And yeah, I mean, just is surprise continually surprising right up until, until the end. Um, maybe doesn't feel quite as, as big as it's some, like kind of feels stagey. I think you mentioned that it feels like a play. play. Yeah. yeah. It's a play. Um, it's all in one room practically. Yeah. And it almost feels sometimes more like a play than a movie. Um, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Mark Rylance is so, so solid in this movie and the kind of actor can who can really pull off this kind really of role good. where he's all there's like always a deck, he, a card he has up his sleeve and mm-hmm. he never like hints at it too heavily. Um, yep. Yeah. So I'd, I'd recommend that one as well. Yeah, and like we said, that one should be over on Prime. They keep switching it between Peacock. I don't understand. You're, it's a Universal movie. Universal gets it. And then y'all forgot to close in on the rights and it goes the other way? I don't know about that. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, this is one where I would even say if they had a good deal on it, it was like 9 bucks, and you could buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would give it that type of rating. I thought it was a pretty decent movie, especially if there's some behind the scenes because uh, Rylance's performance is fantastic. And that's the second one of the year that's really stood out to me. So I, I would consider him a lead. In this, I don't really know how they would yeah. break it down, but to me, he's a lead oh, there. Sure. Owns and all, he's supporting. I think he earns a spot in both categories, in my opinion. Ooh, ooh, okay, we'll we'll get into actor discussions not too long from now, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but let's talk about some more horror stuff. Given this is Halloween, let's talk about VHS ninety nine, the latest in the VHS series, which is a uh, series of anthology films that are all horror shorts. Uh, Some of them have revolved around different years from VHS 85 to this one is VHS 99. Um, I'm always intrigued by these anthologies because they tend to get pretty interesting directors to work on them. I don't Mm -hmm. often find most of the shorts to be that satisfying though. Uh, I saw you put out on Let Me Explain a VHS 99 ranked. So how how many would you say are are worth your time in VHS 99? (sighs) So the shorts are different to me, right? Because it's like when you recommend a movie and you're telling someone to spend 90 minutes to, you know, almost two hours. That's like a really big investment. But when you're watching shorts, I do feel like, you know, it's it's a lot easier. It's only going to be 10, 15 minutes of your time. Mind you, it's a feature of shorts, so you're just back to recommending 90 minutes of it. Uh, In which case, I do agree with you. Since probably VHS 2, you're getting a 50-50 for a lot of these. And I'm not going to say that for VHS... VHS 99, it doesn't change. I just felt that the pendulum swung a little bit more the other way. They're probably going to be hit or miss, but I think each one includes something intriguing for you to remember it by, especially in this 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 new slate of it. Um, that uh, even if they don't end up becoming your favorites, I think you'll be like, oh, that was an interesting type of game show thing that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you described that, I think you're in there for the directors. What they've been doing with a lot of the earlier ones, and I didn't even realize this, is that they're taking the shorts using VHS as a platform yeah, to see which one gets the most attention and then making those spin-off feature films. I think they're going to do one with the Ratma thing that they did from the previous one because in, uh, you had said 80, it, 94, they had like this whole rat monster thing and TikTok went crazy for it because they thought it was like an actual news report. So from there, I see a lot of success uh, 
in them spinning that off into something and then it being its own thing. Mm-hmm. Because you see a little bit of it in this new one in 99, they mentioned the Ratmaw character. In this new one, you have a lot of really prominent directors who are doing really big things. You had the ones from Deadstream, the couple who yeah. I really like. You have Flying Lotus, who's been making several things. Johannes yeah. Roberts, who just did Welcome to Raccoon City. Um, even in the original ones, it was the Radio Silence Boys who did the new Scream, who did um, Ready or Not. Like, mm-hmm. you go back and you see Adam Wingard. High West? T- you have actual talent who are working mm-hmm. on these films and there could be negatives to it the idea of like getting multiple up-and-coming directors to do shorts where they don't really own the short and much definitely don't own the feature and mm-hmm. it's whoever's producing it that owns it like i'm put that out there but it is a really good way to be able to get up-and-comers give yeah. them an opportunity to be seen in an anthology um that can put people that can put them on people's radar if not have that short expand, hopefully have someone see it and be like, hey, we want to make something else with you. I think having them be at home, uh, uh, be hosted on Shutter is also very good because that's the best way to catch a lot of these things. I think you and I both said this, shorts in general should be on all these streaming services because it's the mm-hmm. easiest places. You know, um, Quibi failed. TikTok did not. YouTube is pushing shorts. If people are already paying for these services, I think you have an ability to be able to create I don't know, more more content um, yeah. with these short form things that you have. No, and I'm surprised services like Netflix that are always looking for new IP. They kind of. They, they have Girl. shorts, but I'm I'm surprised they don't push them a little more. It's almost agree with like you. a test. Like, oh, if a bunch of people click on this short, maybe we should turn it into a feature. You know, that's something that filmmakers have always done is like make their short films as kind of like mission statements for their features. But it is interesting that like the, the VHS series provides that for so many different filmmakers exactly what i find interesting is that what they've done is on your phone on the actual netflix app they've done this instead it's mostly for stand-up people but they used to do it for like big mouth they'll take like a segment of a show like right here they're taking a segment from uncharted and they're just like making clips so that you can kind of flip through it as if it was tiktok exactly so it's like they're shortening excuse me the shorts they're clipping the clips yeah so they're already aware of it, so we'll see how it expands. But uh, look, I think it's another decent addition to the VHS anthology series. They have it on lock right now, but that is until, Zach, there is competition for Shudder, and it's called Screambox. That is what Terrifier is going to go to. Ooh. That's the home for Terrifier. That's the home for another Chicago movie that we saw. Interesting. So believe it or not, Shudder's starting to get some competition. Look, I mean, imitators is a sign of success, right? And I think we've seen, we've been talking about Shudder for years now on Intercut. We've really seen Shudder blossom from a interesting place where you can get some off-the-beaten-path horror movies to kind of like the place to go for anything not made by Blumhouse in terms of horror, right? Like all of our favorite recent horror movies have found their way onto shutter one way or another uh mm-hmm. and it, whether that's you know stuff like resurrection or even stuff that's like documentaries like the uh folk t- history of folk horror one that we were talking about mm-hmm. um it shutters a really interesting service and yeah if screen boxes throwing their hat into the ring maybe that just means that uh everybody's gonna you know the competition will f- help everybody raise their game that's what i want Let's talk about a new Apple TV Plus release. This one, I believe, had its premiere in Toronto a couple months, or I guess a month ago, although I didn't catch it there. I actually still haven't caught it, but it's Raymond and Ray starring Ewan McGregor 
and Ethan Hawke as a pair of half-brothers reuniting when their estranged father died. Art, uh, what did you think of this latest release, starry release from Apple TV Plus? This one also played at Chicago Fest. It was one of those ones where it's like two days before it comes out on Apple TV. Yeah. They're the doing like a premiere. premiere thing. Yeah, exactly. So you can pay, you know, $20 to go see it as a part of a festival or just wait and catch it. Uh, once it's out on Apple TV, we were able to get it in our little, um, what is it called? Our screeners, our screeners app. app. So it was there uh, for me to catch right before we went in. And it reminds me of another movie that I'm trying to pull up here and I can, and maybe you'll be able to remember it. I wanted to say it was an Owen Wilson movie. I found it right here, boy. It's called Father Figures. I'm trying to post it into the regular chat so that you have something to pull it up here. It is a story about siblings who don't realize how many other siblings they may or may not have. It's a goofy movie. Uh, I don't see this as... I don't know if you remember this movie right here. Yeah, this is another yeah. weird one where they're going out, they're not realizing, uh, you know, it's kind of comparing them as father figures, but their father has passed. And in realizing that, they don't know the extent of how far-reaching the father knew people and, and different things. And as they go on this funeral quest, uh, they learn more about their past. That is a lot of what this other movie is. You have decent performances because obviously it's Ethan Hawke, it's Wood McGregor. They're not bad at what they do, but they're completely different sides of the coin. They had completely different upbringings, even though they had the same father. They were just treated differently. And little by little, as they're there trying to bury their father, they see somebody else try to help out only to realize, wait, that's a brother we never knew we had. And that's the movie. You know, it's it's goofy at points. It's, uh, you know, it's your, just your regular cliche uh uh, stereotypical movie um, where brothers are mourning, but at the same time they find ways to like do little goofy uh, bits uh, uh, that that call back to their past. It's on Apple TV. It feels like the old Apple TV movies where like, yeah, it doesn't feel like Apple TV's put out a movie yet. I still, right. for the most part, don't think we've recommended a drama from Apple TV. Not Graham a doc. Okay. Graham's okay. I, it has really good sound design, but I'm not putting sound design <laughs> as my top movies. Um, this fits well with the Apple features that we've gotten. They, they still reign supreme in shows. This was okay. Yeah, uh, it still feels like they're waiting for... So, well, I mean, wait, wait, wait. We're, before we get people mad at us, Cha-Cha Real Smooth is an Apple movie. Uh, but aside from that... No, no, like, no, 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 no. Not after all those New York Times articles you read to me at the beginning. So I feel <laughs> half, half the people agree. Yeah, I, but I would say charges at the top. There's a lot of like very star driven stuff on Apple that kind of arrives with the shrug. Uh, I guess it's fine. Like none of the movies that I've seen in that vein are really bad. They're just mostly forgettable. Um, That's and what I, it I is. Guess, yeah, I guess you can add that to the collection that Apple TV Plus mm-hmm. is uh, developing. The thing is, they though, have some good ones, though. Yeah, uh, so, they don't have always the best narrative films but they've got some great documentaries they had boys state a couple years ago which was our favorite documentary of that year we in 2020 we loved it at sundance and uh they've got a couple that were also at the toronto international film festival uh i didn't see sydney but i know you did uh the Mm -hmm. documentary looking at the life and career of the iconic actor sydney poitier uh, including interviews from all the famous uh, black stars and directors in Hollywood that you can think of. Art, what did you think about Sydney? 
Uh, as a basic entry level, looking at what Sydney did throughout his career, I think it's pretty decent. I can't say that it gets um, too personal or does something in the sense of them uh, being able to flip it into something where you're able to have his artistic voice put on it. He is a talking head in there and you have several other different people. Um, but there's another one that you have where I think it's able to take a director who knows how to make a documentary and make it feel more lived in. Sydney, I think, has Oprah as like a really big producer and yeah. that's no push to Oprah, but I think you know the glossy style of an Oprah documentary. When they yeah. get to a part of like Sydney went out and he didn't come home because he was well doing something else. And the next scene is cutting to him like winning an Academy Award because you can't have people ponder on Sydney that bad for why he didn't come home. And I'm like, nah, I dive deep into it. That's what I mean right. by glossy. You know, it's still two hours. So that's why I, I think that it's able to cover a widespread of things. But I mean, Sydney's too big to be able to just have him in one feature film. This is a man who needs a docuseries. This is like, yes, you have uh, Denzel sitting there pretty much saying without Sydney, there is no me. You know, I am the person who who he passed it on to to carry on. You have everybody there who he's affected in various degrees being able to give some input. Um, but still, I think it, it's not going to be the definitive thing for Sydney. Um, but it's still very much probably one of the biggest ones that uh, people are going to gravitate towards because of the amount of people and uh, insights they were able to bring in. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Shane uh, Intercutie that we've met in Toronto before, and he caught uh, Sydney and he was saying, that it's like a decent documentary for somebody who doesn't really know anything about Sydney Poitier. Yeah. But people, you know, I think if you are interested in movies and movie history, you do know a lot of those things about Sydney Poitier. So, so maybe this isn't the documentary that is going to give you that, the deep dive that we're always asking for from mm -hmm. these profile but it's good. documentaries. But it's good. You know, there's, there's a moment where he talks about him and Harry Belafonte and they're on and offs and on and offs and how they had to come back together because they, they needed to. And I'm like, but what happened there? I want a whole talk just on that, just on like on their friendship. And that ends up just being in the fringes of this. So yeah, it makes you want more. So that's how you know it's incomplete, but nonetheless gives you uh, a good overview of what of what the man's life was. This next one though, I thought yeah. was a lot better. I think I it's think... able to get into the thought process of a man. And to Absolutely. me, that's where you really get into the creativity. And that's because of this director, Sasha Jenkins. I think we both uh, responded a lot to Louis Armstrong's Black and Blues, uh, which takes a look at his life uh, and does it in a style that I thought was really interesting. I had commented to you after Toronto that I always love when a documentary tries to really evoke the person that it's about. So Louis Armstrong apparently kept a scrapbook where he kept many of his many, many of his newspaper write-ups and photos and stuff like that. So the documentary here takes on the look of a scrapbook in retelling parts of the story. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's that kind of like care for the presentation that I think takes something like this and brings it beyond what we normally get in like a typical uh, profile documentary. I also really like the idea of him having kept a record of like everything that he did. So you mm -hmm. actually do have a lot to show. And I love how he's like, you're going to show everything, the good, the bad, but I'm going to make sure that I have 
all of it recorded mm -hmm. to some degree and just seeing the turmoils of like not just him as an artist which i think is, is is a really good balance that the movie has it's not just like here's the 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 racial divides that he had to face here's him as a musician and also what he had to face and how both of them blend in depending on where he is but not subtracting one for the other and being able to see like not justify or or uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess it is justify some of the actions or things that he had to do, but looking at it from the context of said times, um, there was one specific talking head that looks back on how a lot of other of his contemporaries looked at him and thought he was kind of like a sellout and then spending time with him and realizing like, oh no, he's doing like what he's going through is something that once you recognize it and you, you apply it to your own journey, you realize like, no, that's not a person that I would, uh, make fun of ever again and yeah. i don't know i think it, it really puts you into uh his state of mind during that period of time which is insane uh but what he meant artistically and what he was able to do with his voice and i mean if you don't know louis armstrong just like google youtube whatever you'll listen to a couple i don't expect everyone to know like every trumpety trumpet solo <laughs> that he did but like you listen to the the what's it called his most famous song. I, I mean, what for a Does yeah, anybody what, not know what a wonderful? That's world. what I'm like, saying. I play know, that. Maybe you don't know his name or or can. His but like other you songs. know that. Yeah, and it speaks just... to you. Yeah, his voice to to go from blowing on an instrument to then singing like that. It's it's yeah. otherworldly. Um, so yeah, I, I think Louis Armstrong is someone who deserves like biopics, miniseries, all that. Mm -hmm. And I'm just glad he got a really good doc because Sasha Jenkins also did Bitchin' earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, the Rick James doc. And uh, he continues it here. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, luckily with Louis Armstrong, Black and Blue, there are, you mentioned all those records that he gets to pull from and pull actual quotes from, plus all the radio interviews. And uh, he clean, Louis Armstrong dude. would also record himself. It's so such a gift to be able to have uh, visuals. The, pro the person being profiled, not just the visuals, but the person being profiled actually speaking about themselves and their career, despite the fact that Louis died almost 50, maybe 50 years ago now, 51 years ago now, which is crazy to think about considering how present a lot of his legacy and culture or music remains. Uh, you mentioned the biopic treatment that he hasn't really gotten yet. Uh, Forrest Whitaker for many, many years was trying to get a movie made called Satchmo that would star him as uh, the iconic trumpeter. And I, I was always kind of hoping that would happen. Although I feel like Forrest is now getting towards the territory where he might be a bit too old to, uh, to do most yeah. of the story. And I don't know if this is like the complete, the craziest idea in the world. I, maybe I'm just saying this because I really like him as a, actor but i almost feel like sam richardson might make a decent louis armstrong sam richardson could make a really great louis armstrong right? he just gotta work on, on that he get he works on that smile oh mm -hmm. we talking we're talking oscars for sure it was interesting mm -hmm. that you mentioned forrest whitaker because he played a uh, charlie bird parker uh in the clint eastwood movie a couple years right. back i don't know if you ever saw bird but i can see him definitely having that like drive to want to make something like this because i thought he was pretty good. i own this movie i own bird so i could definitely see him being in this role he is older now so i like your sam richardson thing my money's in yeah uh let me pull up we'll call, we'll call their people yeah exactly right make sure we get a producer credit at the very least yeah but no bird's uh, a, a a good one to mention especially with the forrest whitaker connection i feel a lot a lot of people like like him saying that does he have the lungs to still do it right there was also, um, I did not know this, uh, he wants to play Michael Jordan. Idris Elba's dream role. 
this to, to play, play Michael, Michael Jordan? Jordan? You did not know about is he this. Irish this is fresh. What is? My dude, this what is like this. This is like Beast press run. Talking about this, and his wife's like, "Oh yeah, that used to be your dream." And he goes, "Used to." He like <laughs> adamantly still wants to play Michael Jordan. He got laughed at, I think, in a sports podcast, and he goes, right. "No, no, I meant like the businessman, Michael Jordan." I don't know, but clearly, he really wants to play Michael Jordan. So, if Forrest Whitaker still has lung capacity to do uh, Louis, then I, hey, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe you can see Idris <laughs> from the free throw. <laughs> I weirdly I do now need to see that movie. I, I'm very curious. You kind of want to, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go to TV before we get to the new to see uh, because there have been some very interesting shows uh, airing while we've been doing all our film festival stuff. House of the Dragon wrapped up its season one run uh, with all sorts of time sk- skips and dragon warfare. Um, it, it's We've been talking about how it's giving us that Game of Thrones feeling. How did you feel in those final few episodes? Are you a fan of where it landed? And are you really, really excited for season two? Or uh, have you cooled off a bit? Uh, No, I am just as excited. I feel that a lot of people thought that it was a little anticlimactic. I don't think so, because I think it ended exactly where it needed to be. This is a series where, at least for season one, it's kind of been split between two parts. Several time jumps, but in particular, one where you change the two lead actresses that you see right there Mm -hmm. uh, on screen. And I was a little worried, in particular for, uh, not for, uh, what's her name? The redhead? Olivia Cook. Olivia Cook, I knew, was going to come in and do her thing. That I had no problem with. Yeah, Emma Darcy's the new one or the old actress? Because I thought the younger actress for the blonde. Millie, yeah, Millie Acock she was the younger actress. was fantastic. And I'm like, damn, I'm really going to miss her because she brought a lot of vulnerability, a lot of like rebellion to it. Um, and when you have the new actress who comes in, I, I was a little concerned. I was like, damn, yeah. I just lost someone who I have the biggest connection with because you still mm-hmm. have the king stays the same. Uh, Doctor Who guy stays the same, and you're <laughs> you're feeling them. They both killed it, like literally. Uh, I, I'm I'm what's what's the Rainies Rhaenyra's Rhaenyra Rhaenyra, and that second half has That's to do thing, so though. many scenes, specifically <laughs> a walk with a trail behind her. I was like, oh, okay, I guess you won me over. And oh, then in yeah. the finale, you mm. realize what the whole season's leading up to. Mm-hmm. It's, and she does it's it in a look. Two. She does it in a look, and I thought, I'm like, that's exactly where we need to end it on. I yeah. thought you still got the VFX fights that you needed them to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, clash with, but I, I really think it was an emotional climax that you get to where you realize, all right, there is no looking back at this friendship anymore. That's the line that has been crossed, and to me, I'm like, that's the perfect ending because now we have the beginning of what's going to be season two. Yeah. I also like that they're taking their time with it. I hope that they... They spend good money on the dragons when there's a lot of stuff in the air and they get very diffused and they're like exterior shots. But whenever they're like on them floating in the dragons, I do need them to fix that for season two because it looks goofy. And I don't want it to age that much because you have really great performances, really good writing, really good blocking um, and really good use of the the score that doesn't need to really be changed. Um, Everything that's firing on all cylinders, uh, they just need to fix those VFX shots. Yeah, it's funny because people have been talking about how good the volume is, and they apparently did use the volume uh, VFX for making those dragon scenes happen. And I don't know, it's some of the the worst-looking volume stuff I feel like we've seen yet. Much better in, uh, in The Mandalorian and The Batman, for sure. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't take me out of the show. I know a lot of people get frustrated like when it gets dark or when it maybe gets a little bit more VFXy, but I, I still think that ultimately what you care about are these characters and the dynamics between them and the Easily. the constant power, the tug of war over who's going to be in power. And uh, I think they've really got that down, the way that they are, have continually raised the stakes, found new nuances into this fight. Um, I've seen people also criticize the show for being all set up to what season two is going to be. And I, I see that, but I think it's really well done setup. Like it really puts you in the world, makes you grow an attachment to these characters because it's not that easy to build a sense of like a history of a, a sense of a place. And that basically is what they did in season one. They've really like set the table perfectly. So when we do finally go to war, there are investments on both sides. Like maybe you do know who you want to win in this whole power struggle. Maybe, you know, who does win because you read the book. I have not, but I think they've done a great job of establishing things in a way where you have these various rooting interests the way you did uh, watching Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was more than just uh, Khaleesi or, or, or what's her name, uh, Danny and Jon Snow. It was it was Tyrion. It was Littlefinger. It was Stannis. It was that there were all these different people pieces, involved, yeah. and and you need to have you need that base in order to really enjoy the full the full breadth of a show like this i i think what they've done is really really great i thought uh we didn't talk about episode eight which was my favorite of the season but i thought it was kind of very beautifully done and not only gets the intensity of uh this fighting over succession but like the the heartfeltness and and the the I don't know the pain, the human pain involved in seeing your families torn apart. I, I'm really impressed with the show so far. I think they're nailing it in every in every aspect. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. If you haven't hopped on it, no better time. You don't have five, six, seven seasons of Thrones mm-hmm. to catch up on. This is the prologue. Watch this, and as we always say, if you like it, then boom, you have a whole other series that follows afterwards for you to watch. Mm-hmm. But which one was eight again? Eight was the one where um, where they make the switch. No, no, eight was the one um, with the big family dinner and with Patty Considine being really old and decrepit. Uh, someone loses an eye. Yes. No. Okay. That's wait. Is that no? Sorry, that's seven. Eight is the one where somebody loses a head. <laughs> okay. Say no more. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So. <laughs> no, it's that's the one where they lost fingers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wrong uh, that, body parts. <laughs> so we're still in on Game of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, whatever you want to call it. I I don't know. Uh, it's still fun, and uh, maybe we'll get on maybe more of a weekly pace with the show in season two or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's been good. Uh, good. The other HBO show that they've replaced their dragons with is Tell White me. Lotus, back for a second. That's all they season. got, bro. Now HBO's in, got nothing in, new. <laughs> yeah, they they gotta lean on the ones that work. Um, oh and White goodness. Lotus, it's a fun formula. I think when we heard that they were going to continue with it, it, it's one that actually lends itself to this kind of like m- anthology esque kind of treatment because you have different resorts all over the world, and you can keep bringing in more guests. And they've brought in a whole bunch of new faces. 
uh Haley Lou Richardson, one of our favorites, Aubrey Plaza, who we've recently I dedicated a whole bro. bracket to, and of course the return of Jennifer Coolidge, who was probably the breakout of season one. Uh and they the are now and Emmy winner, yeah. Uh they are now in Italy on a luxury resort in Sicily, uh, and up to more hijinks. You know, I think with the first season, when you get into it, they do a really good job of just sort of introducing you to all the different characters and giving you the tease of, oh, there's a dead body and we have no idea who that is or why that happened. And, you know, that's the formula they've gone with to kind of repeat here. It's intriguing because it leaves you kind of guessing and, you know, you can kind of pull the thread on every character and be like, well, that that relationship looks like it's contentious. Um, I wasn't somebody who was completely won over right away on the first season of The White Lotus. I think as it continued and as they started to sort of get into the messiness and get into the arguing, that's where it really became fun and juicy for me. So I, after one episode of season two of The White Lotus, see all the potential there, but still kind of want to see where they're actually going with it. Uh, the, the word from critics and stuff is this season's a lot more focused on sexual politics than like race politics. And uh, they've have some intriguing aspects in terms of what they're alluding to uh, with that first season. But I don't know, I I'm still waiting to, to really dig in. It hasn't like caught me fully yet. So uh, it's, it's a fun show and the dynamics are great. I'm interested to see this side of Aubrey Plaza because she's playing a very difficult person and not in the way that you might assume given the Aubrey Plaza type of character. Uh, but yeah, it, I think Mike White is a very good writer, uh, particularly of people and, and like just like of uh, very ordinary types of people. So I'm definitely on board to uh, keep watching this one week to week. And yeah, maybe we'll uh, come back and talk about it a little once you've had a chance to catch up. Sounds good. Yeah. So what else have we got on the TV slate? I mean, we uh, are not caught up on Andor, although I know a lot of people are I've liking good that. Things. Uh, how much of what Lord of the Rings have you watched? There was a trailer that played before one of the movie theater outings cool. that I did. Cool. Yeah, I think I'm like three episodes into that, and I'm a little lost, but I, I want to dive deeper because I've heard a bunch of people uh, say they enjoy that. You caught up with uh, all of She-Hulk? Have you finished the first yep. season? Wrapped up everything down to that finale that I thought I was lucid dreaming in. I don't know if you <laughs> had the chance to catch it, but... I still have not. Oh, it is a finale, Zach. I'll keep this short and brief mm. because I do want you to go in as empty as possible. She-Hulk has been a very fascinating show and has been a part of a lot of these big franchise. Um, they're not even the tentpoles anymore, right? It's like we have distinctly split what is a tentpole and what is something that we're trying out. Hey, here is here is uh, Kamala, right? That's uh, Miss Marvel. Right. She needs a TV series because we can't. we're not going to spend the money on a movie. <laughs> she will get a movie, though once we combine her with five other people though because yeah, we yeah. ain't trusting any of these who we're 100 supporting uh as being their own little product i guess she hulk feels like another one of those where it's a series that's uh so much devoted into having a female lead who talks about being a female lead because she's a female <laughs> lead and then they don't even give money to the vfx all i will say is that the ending thinks that it's funny to be meta and break the fourth wall about how they don't have a budget for vfx and I don't find that funny. Yeah, I don't particularly think... not 
given the recent that'd be like, articles yeah, that have come out. That'd be like coming on here. Yeah, especially with all the recent articles and the VFX people complaining. It'd be like us coming on here and then just going like, oh, well, we have a list of stuff that we're just going to name. And it's probably going to be the new to see because we haven't seen any of it. Anyways, here we go. And we're going to name them. Be happy we showed up. And right. look, there's a lot that there's a lot to dislike from that season. I don't know if they're going to make it a season two. I really don't know what they're doing with the Marvel shows. Um, but the ending is interesting because I've read it in a different Marvel character who's done what they do at the ending here. And I very much like it. And I still have that comic series. They decided to do it for She-Hulk, which I think will be fascinating because they now own both of these characters. Uh, she takes it for her series. And she makes a couple of jokes that I'm very curious to see how you take them. They're funny, but they're also not. Because, again, it's trying to do a cop-out of, like, if we make fun of yeah. the uh, how we lowballed our VFX artists and the people who worked on this, would that make it funny? And I'm like, no, I think you're just trying to justify the overlords who pushed you here. But it's the most intriguing episode of the entire season. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah, it's just for a show that is kind of marketing itself as a comedy, like, even more than the other Marvel stuff that has comedy in it markets itself as comedy. The comedy was just not working for me. And and that's been my big obstacle in trying to go back to the show. But hey, I mean, just go straight to the ending. <laughs> I might just go straight Honestly, to the I ending. Might. Also, a big character from I remember to say Daredevil plays a much bigger, more prominent part in one of the later episodes than I thought. Like like he's a big part. <laughs> like he like he's back, bro. Like I'm not talking his cameo in Spider Man. Like he comes back, bro. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean I've he- I've heard some things about that. So again, going on a on a show that breaks the fourth wall to tell you this isn't one of those where we're gonna have a new cameo every week and then proceeds to have a new cameo every week. <laughs> Take that as you will. Yeah. Uh, but She Hawk, uh, not the best of the series that are out there. I will say I was never bored. I was very. Very much frustrated multiple times. I tuned in every week for Tatiana Maslany. She's innocent. Y'all did her dirty a lot of the times. But, Zach, watch that finale, if anything else, just because I want to know what you think about how they handled it. All right, cool. Uh, we will get come back to discuss that at some point. As, as long as we're on the subject of superhero stuff, uh, why don't we get into what is this, bro? this piece of news that Bruce Wayne, yes, Bruce Wayne himself, uh, let us know about in the live stream comments in that one of our big favorites here on Intercut, Kristen Milioti, has been cast as the female lead in the new HBO Max Penguin show, uh, which I believe is supposed to star Colin Farrell still. Art, what do you think about Kristen Milioti entering the DCU? The DDCU? DCU? DCU. The TV DCU? TV on HBO Max, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like her. Should be interesting. I mean, she her she's been on HBO Max. <laughs> it was made for love. Like she's yeah. built a nice little home there, so that kind of makes sense. Uh, if this is supposed to be a prequel, I think that seems more fitting. I don't know if this will be before all of the prosthetics on Falcone's character, or or I guess the uh, Penguin's character, because technically he's, she's not married to the Penguin. She'd be married to Falcone. Well, it says that she's the daughter of Carmine Falcone, played by John Turturro, and Sophia is fighting with the Penguin for control of the city. What? So I guess she's like... I mean, you saw rival? the Batman, right? You know, that would mean that she's related then to also another character. Yeah. So I find it funny, it's like the daughter of Falcone, and the sister 
<laughs> to like another prominent character in the movie. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm curious. I'm, I'm just curious with it because you know how HBO, what they've done with Thrones, what they've done with several other ones, including this, they name like what five different Batman spinoffs and then they keep getting cut up little by little. So we'll, I don't know. I thought this was done. I thought the series was done. So to hear that they're still doing casting, sure. I even like the other casting that was right there about Yahya. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. The Wonder Man casting. Right there. Yeah, that's what, crazy. What What is Wonder Man? I don't know anything about Wonder Man. Yeah. <laughs> you know you know that much, too? Cool. Uh-huh. For sure. So, right, it's whatever yeah. they make them, anyway. It, it's our man from uh, from Top Dog Underdog, though. Mm-hmm. Candy, candy Man, everything. I love yeah. you out here. That's great. Hey, that's that's a double check right there. He's he's Aquaman, villain, and now he's over here for Marvel. Right. That's good. Yeah, Tip and he even uh, shat on the Aquaman process on his way out the DC door, too, so... He did. Well, yeah. no, he didn't, bro. He's not that yeah, guy. He He's no, he did it. He just said it's a fun time. He clowns around over there. That's it. That's all he said. <laughs> all uh, right. Bruce Wayne says it is the director of Mayor of Easttown who is attached. I believe they're talking about the Falcon. Oh, interesting. So, sounds good. All right. Uh, one last TV show here before we get to the new to see. Let's talk a little bit about Atlanta. I don't think we want to get too deep into it because we want to maybe do a Fantastic. bigger uh, breakdown once the season ends. Because, man, it's the final season and, and it'll be gone in just 11 more days. Are you ready for, for Atlanta to be over? Dude, I thought it was done. You tell me, oh, there's two more episodes. I thought yeah. I had seen the finale. I already cried. I already did everything I needed to, man. <laughs> I thought man, it was over. I don't know if I could have accepted that that last one as the finale for the whole season. I don't. I could have accepted the one before that one. There's yeah. a certain look with the with three of the most prominent characters just yeah. having a, a getaway. I thought that was absolutely beautiful. It and does. I, I, it, it does feel like they're doing a lot of final season stuff. Like even an earlier episode where Earn finally addresses sort of like his traumatic traumatic exit from college. You know, they're, they're really kind of giving the fans what they were kind of hoping for. And I think more than that, I think he's venting more than he's ever done. I think it's Childish Gambino talking about oh, that little little gold Grammy that he won, literally Song of the Year, the award that ends the ceremony and he wasn't there for. I think he comments on the Grammys in one of my favorite episodes in this season. Mm-hmm. I think he comments on his family. I think he comments on his loved ones. I think he comments on this idea of he's looking back at the Gambino that would end up becoming Gambino before he would work with Disney, before he would do all these things. He's he's like the Gambino who was making it and now has to make the decision to move to L.A. Like, I feel mm-hmm. the whole show of Atlanta is the precursor to him becoming popular. It's right. everything he went through before making the decision to get up and move from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I find that to be really beautiful, and I find it to be a very retrospective show, especially this season, of what it's been like to work with the big powerhouse that is Disney. I feel like he's commenting on that. That last episode that we got was like a video essay. Mm-hmm. And I think it's him kind of, I thought it was a very unique way to make it about him without making it about him. Almost yeah. fooled me for a second. I was over there and I would be Googling. It, it's good. It's a great season. It's it good. is fantastic. I, I definitely think they, they've raised their game again for season four. So we'll get into it for sure a little bit more down the line. Uh, we should get to the new to see, but before we do, we would like to thank the intercuity plus patrons those wonderful people supporting the show they are you and julietta garrett tim elizabeth josh ashley michael da matt and mr kobayashi as well as our academy level members to char cademan connor marion pre 
Pete, not Preet, <laughs> Sean, May, Ricky, and What's Matter. And of course, a super big thanks to the producer level patrons, Awkward and you, Denver. Thanks again for all the support and a reminder that you too can become a member at patreon.com slash intercut pod, where you can sign up for patron benefits like early access to our intercut episode outlines, access to private channels on the episode on the intercut discord access to some episodes early. I uploaded our next bracket already for the patrons. And you also get an invitation to our monthly patron Google meetings. This month's meeting happening after we live stream today so not too late to get invited to come hang out with us and talk movies just got to sign up for as little as one dollar a month what are we going to talk about on the patreon live hang today arturo you have we anything got a couple planned? of shows and stuff but i mean i wanted to do a horror little bracket so we'll see if we can come up with mm. something mm. all right so we will get into all of that in just a little bit once again check out patreon.com slash intercut pod all right why don't we talk about what is new to see the movies and shows hitting streaming and theaters over the weekend? Not a whole lot of options because I think a lot of people, a lot of studios are clearing out, making a path for Black Panther Wakanda Forever to absolutely dominate the box office next weekend. But we still got this weekend, including an expansion of one of my favorite films of the year so far, and that is Armageddon Time, the latest from James Gray, a director who we like quite a bit from his work on films like Lost City of Z to The Immigrant to Ad Astra. Uh, Armageddon Time, his most personal film, a coming-of-age story. Uh, we talked about it a little bit with Austin on last week's stream. I, I think this is just a really beautiful look at shifting equity and the way that different cultures uh, assimilate themselves in America. I don't know. I, I know that there are divided opinions when it comes to Armageddon time, but I do think there's something very, very beautiful about this film. And I'm excited for you to catch it so we can talk about it again, Arturo. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, also, out this weekend in limited release is The Box, La Caja, which is a film set in Mexico, but is Venezuela's submission to the 2023 oscars art did you have a chance to catch this one uh they sent it to me so i have a link and it's a movie link because as it expands in theaters i think a week or two from now it will be on movie Ooh, so yeah another reason to sign up for movie which we like calendar girls a film that we first caught at sundance earlier this year is playing in limited release in theaters in new york and florida i know it expands to la next weekend uh, a interesting story about a group of older women coming together uh, for a to, to perform as a dance troupe. Um, Art, I think you liked this one a little more than I did when you saw it at Sundance. I think I was very tired I by the time I got to this did one. Did not. No, it's fine. Okay. They want to be it's Calendar fine. Girls. It's cool. Yeah, they deserve their movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, the state is probably the widest release in theaters this weekend, and it's got a pretty solid cast. Tony Collette, Anna Faris, Kathleen Turner, David Duchovny, Rosemary DeWitt, and Ron Livingston among them. It's about two sisters attempting to win over their terminally ill mother in the hopes of becoming the beneficiaries of her estate. Uh, don't really know too much about this one, but it's probably going to be my AMC A-list pick for the week. I got to gotta keep the A-list fresh, you know, kind of 
keep using it or or it doesn't work anymore, right? Is that how it works? Uh, I think that's how Regal works. Okay. <laughs> Good Night Oppie is playing, I believe, in theaters. Uh, it will be on Amazon a couple weeks from now. This was a film that premiered in Toronto. It's a story about uh, the rover Opportunity that did a 90-day mission on Mars. Uh, seemed interesting. Has some good reviews, some mixed some mixed opinions, but uh, I'm going to probably catch this one when it does make its way to Amazon Prime Video. Um, another one that I was curious about this weekend is I'm Totally Fine, which stars a couple people that I like quite a bit in Jillian Bell and Natalie Morales. Posters indicate some kind of like alien sort of activity going on. I don't know. Maybe we'll get a screener for this one and we can talk about it in a little bit. Uh, Art, do you know anything about the King's Horseman? Mm, no. Looks really interesting. I know it played a couple festivals. Got a lot of very like striking imagery. Um, right. I believe Oyo. that... Sorry? This is one of the tribes in Woman King. Oh, there we go. So a little added resonance. This one is going to be a Netflix movie not too long from now. Actually, yeah, Friday it's going to be available on Netflix. So well, uh, something to check out at home. Art, do you know anything about Nocebo? Mm-mm. What's this? Uh, this is the new film directed by Lorcan Finnegan. Oh, okay. The I've person seen the poster. behind Vivarium, which I believe ah. you gave a pretty strong review for last year. Uh, yeah. you, you have uh, Ava Green and Mark Strong uh, starring Green? here. Ava Green? Yeah. I don't know. I'm oh. curious about this one. Yeah, I'm curious too. I know Vivarian is one that intrigued a lot of people. A lot of people saw, a lot of people came out angry. A lot of people came out annoyed. Yeah. Uh, but I thought he had a very interesting perspective. I like his perspective as a director. So this one looks pretty easy breezy, 96 minutes. Mm-hmm. I have this one on my radar. Selena Gomez, My Mind and Me, another documentary coming to Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, Playing at AFI, bro. Is it really? Yeah, like I was like, why is there so much push on this? And I saw I had the AFI tag on it. I was like, all right, then I guess there you go. Apple needed the Billie Eilish dog, but for this time around, and <laughs> you know, it, it it looks a little bit more. I hate to use the word honest, but as compared to Demi's docs, right? Uh, this one definitely looks like it's trying to look back at her career. I don't know how in depth it will be. I really like the Billie one. We'll see if this one's able to do it for Selena, because obviously she's she's been around for for a minute, dude. Yeah, it's supposed to be the big doc looking at all of her ups and downs. Also out this weekend, not just in theaters, but uh, available on VOD as well, is the South by Southwest film Soft and Quiet Blumhouse. Ended uh -huh. up picking this one up. I remember you being not so sold when you saw Bro, it at South by. This just got a Gotham Award, and I was like, damn, I had that, add that one to my list. And then I find out... Oh, it's this one. They got a new poster to it, which looks kind of decent. Yeah. Um, the whole thing is meant to be one long take. That's in my alley. Mm. You have a group of women who have issues with another group of women because there is something that divides them and makes them look different. But the group of women who you are following just so happens, it's very important to know, just so happen to be sisters of the Aryan culthood or whatever else, <laughs> they're white supremacists. Nice. The movie is directed, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, by a woman of color, a Latina, if I'm, I'm pretty sure. 
the movie was just not for me, bro. It was a little, we were describing this last week about like a movie can be perfectly made. It could have all these little things going for it, but there's a certain degree where you're just like, I just don't like hanging out with these people. And this is a movie where the whole vibe is successfully that I'm hanging out with them. And I successfully want to get the hell out of there. And that was me. The first time that I saw it, I saw a lot of people coming out liking it. They saw something in it. I didn't Yeah. (laughs) got the Gotham saw something in it. I didn't. Yeah. Um, I can't even really recommend the uh, the long take with it because it's one of those where it's just like, you know, you can cut here. We don't need to actually see you hold the camera for this long, but you're doing it in a very dark scene because you've committed to the long right. take. That's just me. Nonetheless, they should be, uh, there should be some links out there. So, Zach, if you see it and if the Blumhouse aficionados see it, let me know because maybe you disagree with me. And I'm curious about like... it at the very least. Yeah, even be if curious I am a little bit, A uh, little bit on, like, on edge because of your... Not so strong recommendation, <laughs> uh, but one that I think we can give a much stronger recommendation to that we did see at some festivals. Oh, it's been so long. Something in the dirt. The latest. Let's from interview the boys, them. Aaron Moorhead and just I, I actually should reach out for them. Uh, we, we've been a fan of Moorhead and Benson, uh, the various films they've done, and I think this is like a really great version of the thing they do best, which is some guys find a weird thing, and it's it's really cool it's it's definitely a coven movie in terms of its scope it's really mostly contained to this apartment and a very limited cast but the ways in which they keep finding new creative uh turns in this story i found to be really cool i love the dynamic between them i just want to see this one again it's been a little while yeah if you are a fan of their movies this is it up to 11. they are always really good whether it's them in front of the camera or even having different actors mm-hmm their camaraderie, the way that they co-direct, their brotherhood that they have, this is the epitome of that movie. It is like the most meta that they have been to a degree. And uh, I thought it was very special. I thought it felt like a home video that they were able to bring to life. Um, And yeah, I just see bigger and bigger things happening for them. Obviously, they were able to work with Marvel. And uh, yeah, bro, like we've been been watching their movies for a minute. So shout out to Mm -hmm. them. Uh, And then finally, out this weekend in theaters is Utama, a film that was an award winner back at Sundance. It is now Bolivia's submission for best international feature. You know, this is one of the ones that I think was kind of a tough watch at Sundance because we're so busy cramming movies in and depriving ourselves of meals and sleep that when you get to a film that has as much patience as this one does, that is completely unhurried to give you its plot, it can feel like excruciatingly slow. But after watching it and just sitting on it, it's, got a lot of interesting things going on the story of this elderly couple kind of living this punishing lifestyle and the son the grandson that wants to take them away from it i think this is a really good movie mm-hmm. i would uh when we get to chicago there was another one called return to dust that i've been pitching to you that's also had that like are they very diligent workers or are they just being abused and used in this turmoil mm-hmm. out, out in the desert uh utama was another one where we had seen it at the end of the fest we were already gone from our screening room so for a movie that really uh relies on its landscapes we we saw it in like an airbnb little tiny tv that we connected our computer to so it also didn't mm-hmm. do it justice so that's definitely one that i would want to catch back up on um especially with it being bolivia submission absolutely all right so that is what's coming out this weekend let's talk about our picks for the week art what are the movies shows whatever that people should be catching up on this week 
uh, pretty simple. I got some to stay home. And if you go out, if you're staying home in terms of a series, it's got to be Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta season four, I think, is everything that season three might have not been for some people. And I think this is delivering on all cylinders. I think every character uh, who you follow since the beginning gets a really bright episode. Uh, and I think it's been fantastic i'm okay with it already being over because i think it's delivered so to know that there's two more episodes that just makes me more happy i think it's been a great finale so if it ended now i would be happy Good. atlanta please 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 watch it go back and watch the uh, older seasons if you haven't it is definitely worth it if you're also staying at home and you wanted to watch a movie there is this little documentary that i think is one of my top five documentaries of the year titled oh. Pez Outlaw. This is a film about the guy who claims I'm the reason why when you get cereal, there's only uh, one per household because he <laughs> was able to create this entire like syndicate selling Pez toys and Pez dispensers and uh, that the Pez Corporation deemed him the Pez Outlaw. But on top of that, <laughs> he's also a guy who knows story and who realizes that he couldn't have a regular documentary made. He has been waiting for a doc crew to tell his story because it needed to be the right one and it needed to be the story of him and his partner and how they got away with it all. And it is absolutely fantastic. Pez Outlaw, definitely put that one on your radar. But if you're going out into theaters, as I am, a movie that I haven't seen yet and has been on my radar for a long time, Banshees of Inishira. Yes. I hope I'm saying it correctly. It has gotten its limited release right now in like two theaters in Chicago. It should be expanding in more weeks to come. So I want to have it on people's radar because uh, I was a big fan of his previous movie. And as I've heard, I know we had the Cars boys on here. They were talking about how it's almost him reflecting back on how Three Billboards was received. And what you've told me about it being a friendship movie. And mm -hmm. I just love his dry Irish humor. Yes. Um yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. So that's that's the one thing that's going to get me out of the theaters is uh, out to the theaters is Banshees. So Banshees, Atlanta, Pez Outlaw. I love Banshees of Inisher, and uh, it's in forty. It's only in fifty eight theaters nationwide. You right say forty X. I said, how in the <laughs> hell is that in forty X? It feels like it sometimes with the those windswept vistas. But uh, I, yeah, I cannot wait for more people to see that movie because it's absolutely one of my favorites of the year. And uh, looking forward to discussing it a little more with you here on Intercut. As far as my picks. Uh, I am going to recommend one more time. I feel like we've done it a few weeks here in a row, but last weekend tar expanded nationwide. It is in more theaters than ever. Uh, people are getting tar fever tar on tar. It, it's just ready for everybody's ready for tar wars, you know? So I, I am going to go watch it again. Cause that is one of the most interesting detail oriented uh, diveable, deep diveable movies of the year. Uh, Caitlin still hasn't seen it yet, so I'll be going back and watching Tar again. Um, nice. Also going to recommend Armageddon Time as that continues to expand into more theaters. I think it's also only in like eight theaters so far. So on Friday, hopefully it'll be somewhere closer to you. Uh, something in the Dirt. I don't know how big that release is going to be, but it is one of the weirdest, scrappiest movies of the year. And I think it's a really fun time. So I'd highly recommend something in the dirt. If you're at home, I'm totally fine. Uh, Jillian Bell and Natalie Morales are very, very fun to watch. And uh, if they're opposite each of each other, I can't imagine the movie's that bad. Maybe it is. I don't want to, I don't want to guarantee. I haven't seen it. I haven't even seen the trailer, but uh, that's one that I'm going to catch for sure. And then I'll throw on the white Lotus as well. Cause it's uh, a, the first season is a lot of fun and it looks like season two has set itself up to deliver a lot of similar pleasures. Um, I don't know. It's going to 
hopefully be a good time out in Italy. Always, always fun to get a little mini vacation from your, from your couch, right? Okay, so those are our picks for the week. But I think that's about all for this edition of the Weekend Must Watch. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at Zshevich, that's Z-S-H-E-V as in Viagra, something that seems to be recurring on uh, the new season of The White Lotus, I-C-H. And check out my YouTube and TikTok channels, at Multiplex Show. Arturo, where can people find more from you? You can find me over at LME Explain on Twitter, on YouTube, on letterbox and every week here on the intricate podcast running away from terrifier the clown art the clown <laughs> you can listen to every episode of the intercut podcast on itunes anchor spotify whatever your favorite podcatcher is i like overcast and then make sure you subscribe not just to the audio feed but to the video feed as well on youtube.com slash intercut pod we can watch our bright smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment by new episodes of the intercut weekend must watch streaming on our youtube channel every monday at 3 p.m eastern and please Leave us a comment, like the video, comment on the video. I said that already. Consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star review. Shout-out to those of you who have. We shouted out Cece from the Bay earlier. Shouted out Kayla Allen before. But one more time, I'll say she left a uh, review that said, this is the best movie podcast. These guys are amazing. They are very reliable and always have a good recommendation for movies and TV shows, 100% would recommend to a friend. Thanks, guys, for all you do. Thank you, Kayla, for your five-star review. And thank you to the people of Nigeria for putting us on the TV and film podcast shouts out there. Like our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter pages. Support our Patreon. You can find all of them at Intercut Pod, and you'll get updates throughout the week from me, from Art, from all the guests we feature here on Intercut Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, just because Arturo is also art doesn't mean you can call him Art the Clown.